In the game of life, maintaining a healthy lifestyle and nurturing meaningful connections with family can be among the most formidable challenges we face. The Red Sox haven't won a World Series in 86 years. We did something basically impossible coming back from being old and three against the Yankees. Yet for many professional athletes, fostering both has proven to be a triumphant recipe for success. Baseball's life lessons. I asked him why he did this and that. And that's when he was like, hey, when anybody disrespects you, you don't let it fly. I'm John Frankel. For the past two decades, I've traveled the globe covering some of the most impactful human interest stories in sports. On this show, I'm sitting down with some of the biggest families in the game, the legends, current superstars, and the up-and-coming playmakers to understand what's really making them tick. What can pro-athlete families teach a new generation about the importance of caring for your health and finding success in the face of adversity? Together, we'll hear stories of their remarkable comebacks, setbacks, and the crucial role their family and self-care played in their paths to championship glory. This is Heart of the Game. David Ortiz is one of the most beloved players in baseball history. His 20-year career was defined by clutch hits, colossal home runs, and a general love of the game that was infectious. In 2004, Big Poppy helped undo the curse of the Bambino and end the Boston Red Sox 86-year championship drought. During his 14 seasons with the Red Sox, he would lead Boston to three World Series titles. He also made 10 All-Star teams on his way to becoming one of the most beloved players to ever suit up in New England. And here's David Ortiz. You see that number today with three hits. This could be four. Back it goes. It's over. The Red Sox win, and they're moving on up. He was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 2022, thanks to career stats, including 541 home runs and 1,768 runs batted in. Now his son, D'Angelo, is following his dad into the family business. The payoff pitch. Big Poppy hits it to deep right field. And the Red Sox walk off with the win. Like his dad, D'Angelo swings hard and smiles wide. He welcomes the attention and pressure that comes with being the son of a baseball icon as he currently plays for Miami-Dade College. He probably needs absolutely no introduction. If I just say Big Poppy, you know who you're talking about. It's David Ortiz, the Hall of Famer from the Boston Red Sox, joined by his son, D'Angelo Ortiz. He's also playing college baseball now. So, guys, thank you very much for joining us. David, do you like to go by Big Poppy or David? I don't mind. Don't matter. <laughs> Either way. D'Angelo, since you were young and you're watching your dad play and going to the ballpark often, at what age were you when you realized who your dad really was? I would say it was weird because I'd go to the field with him every day. So I just thought that, you know, maybe not everybody was a baseball player, but people love this guy. And I think a lot of people think that being, you know, a baseball player, you go play baseball and then people know you. But I'm going to the field with him seeing every day, you know, the things that he's doing, the things he has to do for, you know, his body, for his routine. So I never thought like, He's some different type of person. I just thought he works really hard, so people love him for that. The fact is, many people may not know this, is that your dad wasn't always Big Poppy. In fact, when he's signed uh, just a few days after turning age 17 out of the Dominican, he's signed by the Seattle Mariners, and they actually list him as David Arias. 
because they make some confusion between his maternal family name and his paternal family name. And it's not until, David, you get traded to Minnesota in 96 that they actually attach Ortiz to your name, right? That's right. The thing is that uh, in the Dominican, we have two first names and two last names. In your birth certificate, they give you your mom and dad last name as different, different thing. Up here, here, you just get your dad last name, obviously. So everybody started calling me by my mom last name, which is Arias, because it was the last name on the certificate. Like my name is David Americo Ortiz Arias. So everybody started calling me David Arias. And I was like, hmm, whatever, you know. I was a kid, I don't really pay attention to it. But as the time started going by and they realized my dad's last name is Ortiz, and then they fix it. So you go from being David Arias when you're in the minor leagues with Seattle to David Ortiz when you become a major leaguer in Minnesota to when you get to Boston and you become Big Poppy. How do you become Big Poppy? <laughs> well, calling everybody Poppy. That's right. That's right. He knows. I'm terrible at remembering people's name. Like, I might be the worst on earth. Like, I feel bad for that because the thing is that I meet so many people in different type of area on a daily basis. It's just crazy. So, for example, the other day was my birthday and I received like 1,400 messages. And I still answering text messages from people, you know, like I just copy and forward because it made me happy and at the same time made me feel bad because most of the people that are sending me text me, I don't even know when their birthday is. I had no clue. <laughs> you know, like, I would like to say happy birthday to them, but I, how can I keep up with all that? Like, like that's something that goes against being a celebrity. You know what I'm saying? I get it. So just for the record, I'm John, but you can call me Poppy. Okay? <laughs> John Poppy. Listen, John, there you go. That's right. You just make it easier for me. I just make it easy. Just call me Poppy. Big Poppy learned the game as a youngster in Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic, the Caribbean island nation that has produced more current major league players than any country besides the U.S. Do you remember how old you were when you first picked up a bat and swung at a baseball? I was like seven. You know, in the Dominican, we have three kings day where as a child, your parents always get you toys and stuff like that. And one of the toys, it was a plastic baseball bat and a glove. That's one of the toys that I can remember that my dad emphasized on when I was a kid. And that is something that I had to clear on my mind since when it happens. Your dad was a professional baseball player in the Dominican Republic, right? No, he was about to be professional, but... Back in the Dominican, back in those days, in his days as a player, it was extremely hard to uh, sign as a pro. But he was really good. He was a pitcher. He always had that dream about him being a major league baseball player or one of his kids. I've been to the Dominican Republic. I've been to San Pedro de Macorís and to some of the other locations where the major league baseball teams have their facilities for players who are coming up. Mm -hmm. And so we, we all know that baseball in the Dominican Republic is kind of like a glove to a hand. It's one and the same. That's right. You played a little basketball when you were younger, but was it obvious? Was it absolutely essential that you would play baseball 
and you had the same dream as so many other Dominicans to make it to Major League Baseball. Well, to be honest with you, in my case, I was more into basketball because it was more fun than baseball. But I used to play both. But my dad, he always thought that I had the ability to be a, a good baseball player. So he basically was the one who emphasized on me chasing more the baseball thing than, than basketball. And, you know, at some point I just did the crossover and extremely fell in love with baseball. D'Angelo, do you share that same passion for the game that your dad has exhibited over his career? If I'm being honest, I feel like the love I have for baseball is not really relatable because I grew up in baseball where, like, that was my childhood. I had no other, like, yeah, at school, you know, my friends, but it was going to the field every day with, with my dad. So you get into the game for different reasons. He obviously was a big basketball guy when he was younger, and uh, I've always been a baseball guy. I guess it came to you pretty naturally, your love for the game. Did actually playing the game, the skills of baseball, come to you pretty naturally? I would say... Before you answer, your dad might have a different opinion, so be careful yeah, how you no, answer. No. <laughs> no, actually, if I'm being honest, he might say that I play the game naturally, but if you ask me, I would say that I've had to put in a lot of work to um, feel as comfortable as I feel playing. And I don't feel like just because, you know, your dad played means that you're going to feel comfortable on that field. You know what? I would say this about the... He always had that love for baseball since he was a kid. But we used to live in Boston. And Boston, because of the weather, you can play all year round. And I remember deciding to uh, move down to Florida right after I retired so he can play baseball all year round. Because the only way you can begin to be a professional baseball player is playing all year round. You can just play six months and then forget about it in the other six months. So... Once we make that move, then he got more familiar with the game. So that leads me to this. There is often the question of any parent and their child about putting pressure on them, encouraging them, pushing them to play a sport, whatever it is. Now you're this Hall of Famer, former Major League Baseball player, and you just acknowledge that you make a deliberate move to a warm weather location like Miami so that your son can pursue it. Did you see it as pressuring him to play? Not at all. I always go through the flow, you know. I always let them do whatever they feel like. Because at the end of the day, my dad, basically, he pushed me, but in a good type of way. I didn't feel any pressure coming from him. He just know that I had the talent, and he just wanted me to fall in love. Once I fall in love with that game, I never let go. Because I found a way for the game to be fun to me. But at the same time, it was a way out for me and my family. So it was pressure where it wasn't because I grew up in a different type of environment. It was tougher than just going out there and playing baseball. And at the end of the day, it was like uh, like the perfect combination for me. In my kids' case, they grew up in a different environment. I just kind of figured what their abilities are and I was just going from there. Like I haven't really pushed in. I just watch and let them do their thing. And whenever they need help with anything, I just, you know, we discuss them. But at the end of the day, they want it. It's not like I had nothing I had to do with uh, them following in love with the game. D'Angelo, do you agree you have not felt pressured? No, not at all. I feel that he did his job when I was a kid when he was bringing me to the field every day. 
And I feel like, you know, with the amount that I went to the field with him, it's impossible not to, not to fall in love with the game. If you haven't felt the pressure to pursue baseball and now play it at the college level, how much pressure do you put on yourself and with the expectations of those from the outside looking in, how much pressure is there for you to make it to the major leagues? That's a good question. I feel like everybody has pressure. You know, my dad's pressure when he was my age was helping your family out. My thing is just, you know, having fun playing baseball and, you know, whatever comes with it, comes with it. But everybody has pressure. Even the guys I play with to this day, you can see them put pressure on themselves in, in different type of ways. So it's all about what you put on yourself, I feel. Absolutely. David, you reacted to when I talked about expectations from outsiders. Is there too much pressure because he carries the Ortiz name, because of your career? Is it unfair to expect that he's going to do everything and accomplish everything in the game of baseball that you did? It's unfair, but at the same time, he's facing reality. Some guys start facing reality down the road because they don't carry my last name. It's a different type of pressure. Matter of fact, even the way the guy approach him when he's hitting is different than everybody else <laughs> because of the last name that he carry. And I see that, but at the same time, I think he had done a pretty good job handling business, you know. D'Angelo is the kind of guy that he cared about everybody. He's very mature. And as a young kid, sometimes I remember he used to come to me. He's way better right now, but when he was even younger, that he was playing baseball in some field and somebody was trash talking to him. He couldn't understand why was that happening because he don't see people approaching the other kids the same way. And he always had questions for me, asking me, Dad, why they do that? Why they so mean? Why they do this? And I, I just laugh and I be like, hey, look, you better get used to man if you want to be a baseball player because that's part of sport, you know, and, and you need to learn how to separate that from how you want to focus and go about the business, you know, because when you play in front of 40,000 people, you're going to hear a lot of trash talk. And at the end of the day, when you are playing, you focus, don't let you even listen any of it. That's how it went down. You know, I mean, I play in places where everybody was screaming at you and then all of a sudden everybody got quiet because you never let your focus go away and then you got the job done, you know what I'm saying? So that's part of the game. That's a fair game. The opposition always want to call your attention and try to distract you so something can happen so they can end up winning. It's all up to you if you want to let that navigate. I'm sure you talk about a lot of things, father and son, just naturally. Is the default conversation between you, D'Angelo, and your dad, is it baseball? How often do you talk the game and the specifics of the game? We, we listen, we, we talk baseball. 90% of the time. 90%, yeah. <laughs> That's because in our whole family, we're very big on, like, you know, having fun, but, but also getting what you need to get done. So, like, for me, it's baseball. So when he calls me, he's making sure, you know, I get all my baseball stuff done. And I always have questions for him, but at the same time, you know, there's certain periods where, like, you have to be able to, like, just have the mind stop thinking about baseball, just rest. But for me, that's really hard. So that's what our conversations are about. What are the things that he talks to you about? What are the pointers that he specifically gives you? With how I'm going about things now, just, you know, baseball being, it feels like every minute of my life, it's just control what you can control. Like, obviously, you need to have fun and enjoy the process. But things that come in 
a month from now, even a week from now, don't even think about those because the point of baseball is to, you know, be focused, have fun, and and take it day by day because every, every day can be so different. It's a blessing when your kids listen to you and trust you. And this young man right here, we are homies, you know. I don't treat him just like he's my son. I treat him like a friend. I treat him like a brother. And he trusts me on everything. And that, to me as a parent, is something that gave me a lot of peace. When we return, David Ortiz recalls a terrifying moment from D'Angelo's childhood and how years later, it would help inspire him to a greater purpose beyond baseball. I was on the runway on an airplane with the team and his mom called me that he just got a seizure. And when I saw you, that they pull you out of the ambulance with all this thing, man, I'm telling you, that was one of the most critical moments in my life. Part of the game, we'll be right back. Trying to lower your bad cholesterol isn't easy. Kale and spinach? Okay, let's pick up the pace. Remember to take your statin. But today, it's possible to go from struggle to cholesterol success with Lecvio. Proven to lower bad cholesterol with just two doses a year after two initial doses. You've got this. So if you're ready for a change, ask your doctor about adding Lecvio. Prescription Lecvio in glycerin is given by a doctor for people who, along with diet and a statin, need help lowering their bad cholesterol, LDLC. Common side effects were injection site reaction, joint pain, and chest cold. Results may vary. Learn more at lecvio.com or call 1-833-537-8462. Ask your doctor about twice-yearly Lecvio. That's L-E-Q-V-I-O. And now back to Heart of the Game. After starting his career with the Seattle Mariners and then the Minnesota Twins, Ortiz made his way to Boston and would eventually take over the city. The baseball-crazy town fell in love with this larger-than-life personality who delivered big hits for the Red Sox over and over and helped reverse the long-suffering franchise's fortunes. In 2004, he and his teammates ended the team's nearly 90-year World Series drought in one of the most improbable comebacks in sports history. David, you get to Boston, things click. You all of a sudden become this incredible clutch hitter. You help the Red Sox break this curse of 86 years. You win three World Series, 2004, the first one breaking the curse of the Bambino. You win again in 2007 and 2013. Is 2004 the the one that really sticks out to you because you helped break the curse and because of what you guys did to the Yankees in the American League Championship Series, being the only team ever to come back from a 3-0 deficit? It have to be, especially the way everything went down. The team haven't won a World Series in 86 years. We did something basically impossible, coming back from being an 0-3 against the Yankees. The whole nation was like a, it was like a movie. I remember they were shooting a movie uh, on Fenway. I think it was... Uh, what was the name of the movie that they were shooting at Fenway? They had to change the script of the movie because oh, we ended up winning. The one with um, Fever Pitch. Fever Pitch with Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore. Fallon. Yeah, with Fallon, yeah. Well, you pretty much know the rest. 
Ortiz in extra innings. Bye-bye, Bambino. Boston Red Sox have won the pennant. So what am I saying? The end of that movie wasn't supposed to be there. It was going to be different. It was going to be like a fan always expecting the Red Sox to win, but we never win. And because we won, then they changed the script. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was remarkable what we did that year, how changed so many things around the New England area. Even if you weren't a baseball fan, people knew what was going on between the Yankees and the Red Sox, in part because it was the rivalry of the Yankees and the Red Sox. Absolutely. There is, I don't know if bad blood is the way to put it, and you might have a different perspective today than you did back then with all this time that has passed. But listen, there was Jeter and there was A-Rod and, you know, there was friction. How did that relationship evolve? And that you're friends today, but I'm assuming you were pretty bitter rivals back then. You know what? I guess when it comes down to it, I'm very special because I only look at him as a rival when I was at the plate, when it was my time to perform. Other than that, they were friends to me. They were people that I have a lot of respect for them. When those brawl happens on the field, I was always down with trying to not overdo things. Because to me, fighting on the field, I never look at that like it's something that we should do. Wasn't part of the game for you? Wasn't part of the game for me. I, I, I was the guy that I, I played the game with a lot of pride. I want the kids that were watching to, once they go home, they had a good impression about what we do on the field. They adult. They don't look at it that way. It's always something. But I don't care what the adult think of. My focus was on these guys making sure that they were impressed by what we do on the field. So we have many broad, and I never really agree with those broad or being out there acting like we were in the WWF or something like that, you know. I want to make sure that everybody was taken care of. I want to make sure that things comes down. Because we wasn't there for that. We was there to play baseball. Listen, the only time I remember that I fired on the field, it wasn't even against the Yankees. It was against Baltimore because I was facing a guy, good guy, good guy, you know. Oh, yes, you're talking about that scuffle with Orioles pitcher Kevin Gregg. That's right. And uh, he was the type of pitcher that he liked to stay away from me. And he kind of, he was trying to hit me in three occasions in the center back and he missed out. And by the third time, I was like, this guy's trying to hit me. So I basically pointed out and I was like, hey, you miss your opportunity because if a, if a guy hit you, for, I mean, how can you miss this? I know. I was <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When you say this, you're referencing to the size of your body. That's right. Like, seriously, I'm 6'3", 260. I mean, I'm a big boy. And pitchers... What they work on is hitting their target. He he missed me three times. <laughs> By the third time, I'm like, okay, that's enough, man. You missed your opportunity. He had no reason to hit me, but the manager, we never have any conversation, but I don't think he agreed with the way I used to whoop his ass. And uh, he he sent the guy to hit me. D'Angelo liked that. Uh, he, know, he know I'm a trash talker. He know that when I get going, I get going. <laughs> so... <laughs> He sent the guy to hit me. He missed me three times. By the third time, I was like, hey, you missed the opportunity, so let's go. So the bench kind of emptied out. Everybody went back. And I had men on third, and I was 3-0. 
And I remember Tito Francona, who was my manager at the time, he went like this, swing the bat, swing the bat. So the guy threw me a fastball, it wasn't a strike, it was like kind of in, and I swing at it. I hit a fly ball to center field, and when I hit it, the pitcher was screaming at me, all kinds of stuff. And I was like, that's it, nah, nah not at my house. 3-0 pitch. David lifts it in the air to shallow right. And oh, here we Ortiz. Go. Here Ortiz we go. going out, and it's time to fight. And then I went and charged him. That was the only time I remember charging somebody in baseball. But other than that, I was, I was always he, trying to keep it peaceful. And he turned it into a life lesson. Right after the game, he walked out, and I said, I asked him why he did that or this and that. I was like, why, why, why? And that's when he told me, he was like, hey, <laughs> when anybody, anybody disrespects you, you don't let it fly. No, you don't let it fly. Baseball's life lessons. That's right. When it comes down to baseball. That's wonderful. I, see, I, I hear a book or a TV show with the Ortiz gentleman, you know, baseball's life lessons. David Ortiz's Hall of Fame career is filled with highlights from his 14 seasons with the Boston Red Sox, including one that has little to do with baseball. In 2007, he launched the nonprofit David Ortiz Children's Fund to raise awareness about heart disease and early detection intervention. Since his retirement in 2016, he's been able to focus on the fund, which helps children in the Dominican Republic and the Boston area who need critical heart care surgeries but can't afford it. Thanks to the effort of Ortiz and others, the foundation has raised nearly $10 million to help these kids. So there's a lot of kids, thousands of kids, who beyond your own family you've helped. Why was that so important to you? Well, I remember a friend of mine from back home, he showed up on a Sunday at my house. Well, I was in the Dominican at the time. And Sunday to me are very important because that's a family day. And he showed up and he was like, hey, I want to take you to a place to show you something. And I'm like, can we do that tomorrow? Because today is Sunday and, and, and I got to do things for my family. Like, it's only going to take you five minutes. You know, it's a good friend of mine. And I was like, okay, let's go. So he took me to this one hospital where two kids, they were in a post-surgery, open-heart surgery. But one of them was this one age at the time when I went. He was four years old. This was four at the time. And when I saw that, that broke my heart because... That kid, his family basically brought him to the hospital to die because they have many kids and they can afford to spend the money on that they spend on the, the other kids to just burn it on one child that needed surgery. They were in a tough spot. And I was like, this is not fair. I had kids and, and, and I can imagine, like this guy, I was on the runway on the airplane with the team, and his mom called me that he just got a seizure. When they were going on the way home, I jumped off the plane. We were going to Seattle from Boston, and I was like, I see you guys whenever. I gotta go and take care of my kids, my family. I always have been very protective with my family, and with my kids, like, I got no limits. My kids are my priority, and when I saw you, that they pull you out of that ambulance with all this thing. Man, I'm telling you, that was one of the most critical moments in my life, you know, just seeing one of my kids like that. So going back to that conversation at the hospital, when I saw this kid by your age going through all this stuff, I start bowling. 
I don't even know what happened to me at the moment because I feel like I was this kid parent, you know? And I told them, hey, look, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to come back with some money to help you guys here because it was like in an empty place. A lot of kids need those surgery, but nobody can afford to pay for it. So I remember I started doing things in Boston during the season. I raised like 200 grand and I took them down there. But my team who, you know, helped me out with pretty much everything, they came up with the idea or put it together a foundation and they thought it was going to work out better. You know, we would receive more fund to help out more children. And to the day today, we have provided more than 1,400 uh, life-serving heart surgery. And we have additionally helped out over 15,000 kids that they have been benefited from the foundation somehow, some way. And to me, that's, those are my biggest home runs. That's tremendous. Bigger than your home runs. That is that's your right. home run. That's the way I always look at them. It sounds like incredible work that you've done there and the opportunity that you've provided and the life-saving measures that you've provided. I think you're, you've raised nearly $10 million in your efforts to help all these children. Yeah, we're up to $11 million, and our goal this year is to raise another one4 so we can get another 280-plus kids. We can get their surgery done. And, uh, yeah, we're doing awesome, man. I mean, the support from everybody, from the fans, from the celebrity, the team that we had that put the event together, I mean, it has been unbelievable. I want to let you guys know that my man, Tim Wayfield, who just passed away, always was a big part of this foundation combined with his wife and kids. He was always supporting. He, throughout the years, he helped me out so much to raise funds. I'm telling you, like, the things that he did helped over 50 kids to get their surgery done throughout the years. And unfortunately, we ended up losing my man. Like a month ago, this man was one of the best human beings that I have made in my life. And we're always going to try to continue doing this to keep up with his legacy. Very nice. Sorry for your loss. Thank you. You helped all these children with heart surgeries and in other ways that you also have your own history of some heart issues. I don't know where that stands now, but you had some heart palpitations during your career at one point. Is that right? Yes. I used to drink a lot of caffeine at the beginning when I got to the Red Sox. And then at some point I was having like some irregular heartbeat. And we went to Japan to play over there. And I was drinking caffeine to catch up with the time because remember when we had to play over there, it was the time for me to be sleeping. So trying to wake up and catch up with the time, I drink some caffeine and the regular heartbeat thing pop up. And I was lucky enough that I went to the doctor, they take care of me. But since that time, I I started taking uh, energy drinks and other stuff. And uh, I'm good, like I never had a break. break. To be realistic, the heart is something that to me is very important. How do you stay in shape today? What's your routine like? Well, like I travel a lot, I work a lot, but when I'm home, I ride bikes. There's a huge park right in front of where I live, so I do a lot of walking. Because like you say, you're not burning calories like you used to and you don't want to blow up. <laughs> no, nah, but he's been, he, he's kept it in good shape. He's keeping it in check. No, yeah, he's, he's keeping he's, it in check. He's, he's doing his thing. You know this guy. 
Mr. Six Pack, you know, he always tried to give me a hard time if I walk away from what it is. <laughs> <laughs> we have a tradition here of ending the show by asking each of our guests. So in this case, David and D'Angelo, I want you to each think about this. What does the heart of the game mean to you? The heart of the game, when I think of like the heart of the game, you have to remember, you know, I'm always watching my dad, but I'm watching somebody like, you know, Pedroia play, seeing the way that he approaches every day. Because I tell my dad, like, Pedroia, he's he's crazy. Like, every day that there's a game, he's getting prepared for, like, it's game seven of the World Series. That's right. And Pedroia is the type of guy that he never loses focus. When he gets to the ballpark, he, I mean, that guy, he's locked in. I feel like that is, uh, that to me is the heart of the game. Like, playing the game like it's your last and having that energy. David, what does the heart of the game mean to you? Well, to me, I can describe it in so many different ways because baseball was basically, after God, baseball has been my everything. And it's because baseball was, and it still is something that uh, is very attached to my family lifestyle, to my family situation. I'm the type of guy that I come from nothing. You know, my family struggle big time. Uh, financially, coming from a third world country, I have a mom and dad that they were very responsible. They worked their asses up to basically give me the opportunity to go to school and to have a life. And whenever my my time come, I take it very personal because I wanna I wanna help them out. I wanna give back to them. I wanna be able to make them proud. And baseball was that thing. That's why I told you earlier when we start talking about how I fell in love with the game and how I started realizing that that was gonna be the key for me to be able to change the history of my family. And thanks God, you know, I followed up with trusting my dad, trusting my mom. My mom passed away 21 years ago, but when she was around, she was the head of the family. And I trust my parents with everything. I did everything I was told because at the end of the day, who really care about you are your parents. I would jump in the middle of the truck for this guy. You know what I'm saying? And he knows that and his brother and sister know that, that I would do whatever it takes for them to be all right. But I also teach them that you have to fight to be someone in life. You have to, you have to learn things so you can deliver it. You can't just sit down and wait for some others to do things for you. Because at some point you're gonna want to have a family on your own and when you start building up your family, you're gonna be the one guy that had to be like me. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I try to teach my kids. So baseball to me, like, I can't even describe what baseball has been to me. Thanks to his October heroics, David Ortiz will never have to buy another beer again in Boston. But he wants to use his platform for a greater purpose, to help others who don't share his good fortune. Through the David Ortiz Children's Fund, He seeks to save young lives and give them a chance at a better future. He also gets to see his son, D'Angelo, pursue the same dream he had. No matter how it turns out, Big Poppy is happy to watch it unfold from the bleachers, as any proud father would. For more information on the David Ortiz Children's Fund, visit davidortizchildrensfund.org. And that will do it for this season of Heart of the Game. It's been quite the journey talking to fathers and sons, brothers and sisters, 
Hall of Famers, gold medal winners, and national champions about the life lessons they've learned from sports and their superstar families. We heard from the offspring of champions on the pressures of following in the footsteps of legends. We also heard about the challenges of overcoming personal demons that derailed careers. Furthermore, we've delved into the significance of prioritizing both physical and mental health on and off the field. We'll be back with another season of Heart of the Game soon. In the meantime, catch up on any episodes you missed and feel free to share, review, and rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Heart of the Game is a production of Ruby Studio from iHeartMedia. Our show is hosted by me, John Frankel. Our executive producer is Matt Romano. Our EP of post-production is Matt Stillo. Our supervising producer is Nakia Swinton. This show was edited by Sierra Spreen. Our writer and researcher is Mike Avila. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. It's possible to go from struggle to cholesterol success with prescription Lecvio in glycerin. Given by a doctor for people who, along with diet and a statin, need help lowering their bad cholesterol. LDLC. Common side effects were injection site reaction, joint pain, and chest cold. Results may vary. Visit Lecvio.com or call 1-833-537-8462. Ask your doctor about Lecvio. 